and extend. What are you doing? I'm seeing if I can release my inner demon to have it come out of my arm or head or something and grab something across the room. So what exactly are you trying to grab? A mug of hot tea. Maybe you should start with something easy like, I don't know, a marshmallow? Nope, nope, I'm aiming big. Hot tea, definitely nothing can go wrong with this. Go for it, Ashitaka. comic book keepers where we talk about comic book characters their history and their impact on our lives i'm chris and i'm lance and today we're talking about monstrous this is a beautiful complicated and super detailed comic that i've been wanting to read for a long time this is going to be more of a series review and specifically kind of for the beginning of the series as neither one of us have read through the whole thing but we're definitely going to so absolutely yeah, I'm jealous for people that have gotten further, but uh, this comic is just gorgeous. We should probably have a little bit of a spoiler warning as we are going to be talking about major plot points for the comic, as, as well as I think maybe a little bit of a trigger warning, because there are some adult themes in here and uh, some things about um, depression and and uh, and some mental health issues and things like that. So kind of kind of apropos since it's Mental Health Awareness Month in May. Uh, but um, this this comic kind of feeds into that as well. It's very much about knowing yourself and your flaws. There's a lot of introspection that can go along with this book, and mm-hmm. it is this beautiful balance of absolute chaos and beauty at the same exact time. This is some of the most beautiful art I think I've ever seen in a comic book, and the yeah. imagery is just so evocative and like telling it it is you you see exactly what the artist intends for you to see in these pages and being able to come across with such clarity is crucial in the storyline that deals with so many intricacies of of the world building and the relationships between characters well let's get into it let's do it Monstrous is an ongoing epic fantasy comic series written by Marjorie Liu and drawn by Sana Takeda, published since November 2015 by Image Comics. The comic has been described as ambitious as George R.R. Martin or J.R.R. Tolkien for its high fantasy concepts and heavy world building. The series has earned many awards, including five Eisner Awards, four Hugo Awards, and the Harvey Awards Book of the Year in 2018. I mean, that's this is a crazy awarded book. Yeah, this is high, high caliber comic book telling. Like, the yeah. story is wild. And I, I think part of that is the crossover effect, right? It's not superhero specific. It's it's This is using the medium of comics in, in a great way because it's telling a fantasy story. It's kind of steampunk. It's 
it's horror. about family it's horror it's it's um you know it, it's about women it's about uh you know mothers and and it kind of has so many audiences and and it's just it's yeah it, it's uh it's a great comic to like get into comics for some people not maybe not for everybody but but for a lot of people i think it's going to be something like maybe they, they don't want to read a superhero comic but i'll read a complicated kind of comic that We'll probably end up as a as a HBO miniseries. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Point. This is the kind of comic where you would give it to someone that thinks comic books are just simple little childish yeah. things, and you'd be like, yeah. "Oh, that's what you think about comic books." Well, here you go. Try and try and devour this information without uh, like having your mind blown. <laughs> yeah, the series is set in a matriarchal world inspired by early 20th century Asia and tells the story of Micah Halfwolf, a teenage girl who shares a mysterious psychic link with the powerful monster. The background to the story is a war between the Arcanics, magical creatures who sometimes can pass for human, and the Human Federation, led by the Kumeya, an order of sorceresses who consume Arcanics to fuel their power. Gross. Yeah. Micah is an Arcanic who looks human and who is set on learning about and avenging her dead mother. So, but you kind of learn more and more about the world and how dense it is. And it is very engrossing. And you just like, I just want to learn more about this. And like, there's so many terms and things like that, that at the end of each issue, uh, which is kind of fun. And we'll, we'll talk about that, but they're, they kind of help the, the writer and the artist kind of helps with like, Hey, here's some terminology and here's some ways to, to do that. Uh, yeah. The way they, build everything out is really smart because in the beginning and i knew this going into it that this really was an expansive world with lots of information mm-hmm. to take in but it starts off with giving you like little bits and pieces but not giving you the full picture so you have a lot of questions when you're reading certain dialogue because you're not exactly sure what they're referring to just yet but yeah. as the information is revealed along the way it, it's like your vision is so narrow it's like you have tunnel vision at one point and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you see this gigantic world map that it is so intricate and cool and intriguing that you just want to learn more about it and and established and thought out like they, there's been Very so much, much work so. that goes into this you can tell it's it's a labor of love reviewing the book for the av club caitlin roseberg described the leading characters all women as deeply flawed and showing layers of nuanced characterization that you don't often see in comic books and appreciated the series quote sense of in-betweenness neither traditionally western nor manga paced like a novel but drawn like a comic I thought that was a nice encapsulation of like, this is kind of where this fits. Well, it's a really apt way of looking at the series because Marjorie Liu is a novelist. She has like 17 novels under her belt and we'll get into more about her background because holy crap that she is super talented and intelligent and there's so many cool parts about her career and what led up to comics so i'm excited to talk about that and since we're talking about the series we're gonna be talking about the world and kind of some of the things about the uh the series in general um uh, in sort of a broad stroke and then we'll get into some specific character stuff so it's a little different than what we normally do with the origin of the characters and things like that and this is just what we know so far. We should say that Lance and I have both read the first 
volume, which is essentially the first six issues. But this is an ongoing comic that is up to around, what is it, 40-something? 42. 42, yeah. So there's there's a lot that we haven't read. There's probably a lot that you know we haven't gotten into, areas of the world, characters. Things might have completely changed. We don't know. So... Um, so, but but from what we know so far, uh, the the realm known as the heart of Ubasti is a fertile land that Arcanics humans and ancients reside in. The cool thing about this world is that there are five different races that are known about. So you have humans, you have the ancients, which are these beings that look like anthropomorphic animals that have incredible powers they are essentially immortal you also have cats and um straight up it's cats and they usually have a bunch of different tales the cats are the wizards yeah the cats they're known as the children of ubasti Mm -hmm. the cats are just straight up the oldest beings they're even older than the old gods of this Mm -hmm. world which is another race and at this point in the story you're led to believe that the old gods are now just kind of ghosts that wander the world and people see them, but they don't really interact with them. And then you have Arcanics, who are half-breeds of humans and ancients. In the backstory, there was this period of time where ancients and humans were starting to interbreed, and then that caused a lot of problems and anger within the ancients, and there was a lot of murder and... Things weren't the greatest at a certain point in this history, and it actually is not great in the period that you're actually <laughs> reading this story. But that's all you need to know. There's humans, ancients, anthropomorphic animals, cats, legitimately cats with a bunch of tails, the old gods, the super scary, creepy things, and then Arcanics, which is what our main character is in this storyline. Micah is an Arcanic. And because of that, and I think this is a good time to kind of mention that there are a lot of themes of race and and you know, elitism and racism and stuff like that. Slavery, Uh, slavery and ownership and uh, sexual identity and everything. And it's, it's just, it's done in a really interesting way because it's not explicitly, you know, they don't have the same races that we have in the real world, but it's the same treatment. And in this case, it's like, you know, it's it's what you would have in Harry Potter with wizards versus humans and muggles and half breeds. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And this is the same. You know, it's like the Arcanics are that that half breed that some people are like, yeah, it's fine. Let's embrace change. And then some people are like, no, we need to stop. And, and that's where this war happened. The war that's happening between the humans and the Arcanics has already happened as we pick up the story. So there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, happens in the past that we kind of learn about. And yeah, those ancients, like some of the shots, it was like straight up out of a Miyazaki film, like these giant, you know, like creepy looking month, like uh, mountain kind of things, like just walking around with big eyes and (laughs) like, oh my gosh, this is cool. And I love that. Just like, wow, I've never seen them before. And they're just kind of like, yeah, those are, that's them. Um, and that, that was pretty neat. It was, it's just, it's just the world building and the, the, the beauty of everything and the creepiness is, is really cool. Yeah. There's an underlying creep factor throughout various parts of the story, but at the same time, it's done in such a skilled fashion 
that it's still beautiful. That even the things that are horrific in this world look beautiful. Yeah, and like Lance said, you kind of start with a narrow lens. We start on Micah sort of in the middle of a slave auction, essentially, which is, you know, we're we're kind of familiar with with that. The the some of the bad parts of our history where, you know, women and kids and you know, we're we're slaves uh and they're sold this this in this kind of like elite, you know, smoking room and there's all these rich people who are like, oh, you know, and and they're talking about, you know, is she branded and she's missing an arm and, uh, and you know, is she damaged and everything like that. And, and then she gets donated, uh, to this high ranking, uh, Kumea, uh, named Sophia. She just comes up and says, actually, you are going to donate her to our organization. And the, the person that's running the auction is like, okay, yep, sure. So you can instantly kind of tell like this Sophia check is very like high ranking, like don't mess with her. That was the plan all along. She was captured to try to get information from Sophia and saying like, tell me about my mom and was my mom, you know, important and why did you kill her? And and that, that kind of sets events in motion. Uh, she finds this old mask and she takes a piece of it and it turns out that the mask unlocks this demon uh power that um that micah kind of bonds with and and that's what you have this kind of like if you ever seen akira <laughs> you know it's like you know the things that come out of uh tetsuo's uh, <laughs> uh arm it's sort of like that it's like this <laughs> kind of demon but but this demon has a name and it's zin and it's he's one of the old bad demons that uh th- that now is living inside Micah's um severed arm and she has a hunger and she has to feed it and and um it's cause it's it's a nice allegory for like you know people have these things inside of them that they need to take care of and sometimes they're pretty nasty and evil yeah and along those lines for Micah we're still learning about what power she's capable or, or what powers that she has, because in reality, it's the demon that's inside of her that has these special powers or what, as far as we know right now, but he's a, the demon is able to extend out this arm and kill a lot of people very quickly and drain their life force mm-hmm. to become stronger. But he keeps, or they keep falling back asleep every once in a while, because for some reason, even though they've rested for however long thousands of years they need their rest still it's it's really interesting just to kind of get the slow warm-up of okay what can this character actually do because mm-hmm. we're just it's the tip of the iceberg right now as someone who loves the symbiotes of the the venoms and the mm-hmm. carnages and the agent venoms and everything that ha- this kind of ties in a little bit to a symbiotic relationship, right? It's sort of that absolutely there was, there's moments when Zen is talking and he, it's like, I need to eat. And you know, I can just kind of feel that, but it's, it's in such a different context and such a different world that it's like, Oh, this is interesting, but it's, it's kind of similar. Right. So I think people that, like Venom would probably like this too. Yeah, it it definitely gives off symbiote vibes. The interesting thing about this is though their relationship is Zin believes that, well, Zin is this like old God, this demon that is supposed to be like all powerful and have all these abilities, but at the same time can't do 
everything it wants to do because mm-hmm. of Micah. Micah is right. holding it back. So holding it's like, it back, yeah. it's just this, why is this Arcanic able to hold back an old god? Yeah. And we don't know yet. Uh, no, no idea. <laughs> Zero clue. Yeah. All right, so a, a little bit about Micah, and we'll we'll talk about some of the other characters as well. So Micah is known as the half wolf or little wolf, daughter of doom, and and like Lance said, she's kind of has her powers from this demon that's inside of her. But she's she's pretty skilled. She's pretty conniving. She tends to have some strategy, and she's very smart and uh, incredibly um, capable of taking care of herself. She's a little bit of a recluse and kind of self destructive, but. But um, she's been through a lot. You know, she's lost her parents and and she's been through, uh, you know, kind of the, the latter half of a war. And so she's she's got a lot to deal with. And through her, we kind of meet all these other characters. She is an arcanic, uh, like like we've mentioned. So that's kind of her affiliation. But and then throughout the story, she kind of joins up with other factions and and fights other factions of the, the human side. Uh, of the Kumea. Um, supporting characters include Tuya, who is a childhood friend, kind of a, an ally. And there's a, a lot of things happen in the first volume where you kind of have flashbacks of Tuya. And we don't think, you know, Tuya is kind of like almost like her conscience, like, like uh, she's always mentioning like, oh, if you could see me now, or why couldn't you come with me? Or you would be so disappointed. And and I think anybody can kind of relate to that, like somebody that maybe like a friend that they think is their better half or somebody that's kind of keeping them, keep them uh, on the straight and narrow. Uh, there's a, a young uh, arcanic that she kind of picks up named Kippa, who's like a fox girl. Um, very cute, very bumbly kind of sidekick, but but really sweet and like kind of keeps her true. And she's very innocent. Yeah. And Kippa and- is the moral compass of this group. Yeah. And she's like, no, you can't do that. You can't kill anybody and don't touch me. And like, she's she's like, I'll help you, but you don't do anything bad. Like, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really sweet. Um, and then we Lance mentioned the cat. So the main cat that we kind of deal with in this story is Necomancer Ren. And you did hear that, right? It's Necomancer with uh, it's N-E-K-O-Mancer, not Necromancer. Uh, and Ren is a multi-tailed cat and he's a professor and he knows a lot about the world and, and lore and he kind of knows more about it. And he's he kind of gets in battle every once in a while and scratches some people, but, but mostly kind of trying to guide Micah and kind of what she needs to do and give her advice. And when we're saying and when we're saying Ren kind of jumps into the fight to scratch some people, Ren straight up grows like Wolverine claws. Oh, yeah. He's, he's very like, yeah, very capable. <laughs> throats throats are gone when this cat shows up into the fight. Yeah. Uh there's there's another really cool character named Corvin who is uh also on the side of the Arcanics. Uh he's a first watchman of the court and commander of the Inner Wall uh and part of the Dusk Court, which I think is really cool. He wields uh, what what's it called? Um Is it a glaive? What do they call it? It's like a, oh I think oh I think they call it a Dusk Blade. Anyway, it's cool. <laughs> it's this purple glowing blade on a pike. And, and yeah, he's wearing a mask on the side of his face and he's got big black wings. So he's almost like an archangel. Um, he's also his one of his aliases is Ravenborn. So fans of 
of Vax are going to like uh, this Corbin Doro because <laughs> <laughs> he's very Vax like. Um, and yeah, so he's initially kind of like trying to take them containing or destroying the power within Micah and and destroy this this person, possibly the just the demon or or the girl as well. But after a while, he kind of has a change of heart. So he's kind of that gruff, you know, the protector that ends up fighting on their side. Um, those are some of the main supporting characters that, that we deal with in the in the first volume. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the the bad guys? Yeah. So we have Sophia that we mentioned earlier. She is part of the Kumea. She's the one that is basically ordering this auctioneer to donate these Arcanics to her experiments because what you learn is that the Arcanics, their bones and their like life essence is what is able to be, it can fuel humans to prolong their life, do perform rapid healing. Uh, it, Basically, they just become food. Like, they're a superfood. They're the avocados of this world. <laughs> they're the goji berries of, of the Kamea. <laughs> Gross. It is, but it is so messed up. And you, they start to, uh, the Kumea, they have this ability to, I'm trying to think of the actual word for it, um, not purify, but th- they do like experiments on mm. the arcanics yeah. and their remains in order to make th- this uh those potions or whatever whatever they're going to call it to make them do even more things it, it's real yeah. messed up the the Kamea are so in- uh, they're really interesting and i i love them in a like they're so sadistic and evil it's like a modern witch coven but they're also partly evil scientists but they're also this like almost like the Catholic church in the, you know, in the, in the middle ages, like when it was really evil and, and experimenting on people and like doing things that like where well, we will purify you. And this is for the good of the land. And like, it's all of these things. And it ties into this like witches and, and a, you know, witch lore, but they're not straight up witches. They are, you know, they're doing things kind of in the name of what they believe is magic. But that also includes like the equivalent of like, bathing in blood and in this case it's like eating children that are made of this you know uh, this this bloodline and it's it's yeah it's so twisted but they of course they're super justified in what they believe that they're doing is right and uh you know of course the, these are kind of the um the nuns or the the higher uh ranking kumea are are really creepy including uh yvette we should talk about yvette who is sophia's mother yeah, so Yvette is one of the leaders of the Kumea, very high ranking. She is very much a recluse, is eating portions of these arcanics to prolong her life. Her hair is extremely white, which is what happens when you've consumed so much of these creatures to prolong your life. But also, I guess it just happens when you're older too. But specifically in the storyline, they talk about if you consume them your hair starts to turn white. Mm. Uh, so really interesting. And Yvette is obsessed with this particular portion of a mask. She keeps hearing a voice from it and is it's like calling out to her from the old gods. That's some obsession that she starts to have. And then the top, the most terrifying individual probably in this story is Mother Superior, who is the leader of the Kumea. And she has her daughters 
that are the inquisitrixes. Inqu- mm-hmm. in, what, how do you say Inquis- it, Chris? In- Inquisitrix. Inquisitrix. Uh, how do you? How do we plural? How do you yeah. pluralize that? Inquisitrixes. Inquisitry. Inquisitry. Inquisitrixes. Inquisitrix. Uh, anyway, the inquisitrixes uh, are. Uh, they're like the elite warriors for the Kumea, I would say. Yeah. They are like sent the on black ops. Yes. Female. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty badass, and they have cool armor and, you know, the inquisitrix are, are out there uh, hunting them down. They're eventually, you know, they're, they're kind of like hunting down Micah and they have cool masks and, and mother superior has this very, ornate gothic like iron wrought mask that uh, almost looks like a like a mask you would wear to a masquerade ball but it's but it's clearly made of like sharp edge metal and it's got these kind of long ears kind of horn shapes coming out and she's got this kind of revealing bodice that's made of something that looks uncomfortable but for her it's probably like oh cold steel it's great and uh you know covers her up in the front and a large uh cape and everything it's very uh, you know right out of <laughs> like it's just it's uh it's it's yeah it's really cool uh and, and she's super intimidating and then when she takes her mask off that's even more intimidating. It's it's real scary. Let's leave it's that part out. You, if you haven't read the story, we're not going to say what's underneath that mask. But oh boy, it is uh, it's pretty terrifying. You, you find out in the first six issues, and it's this <laughs> is there. Uh, one thing I do want to add is the fact that with Micah, she is also working on this ability to say a word to have a physical object answer to her so with a lock she's trying to say unlock unlock with a uh, metal door she's trying to get it to open just by saying open and things don't happen in the time that she wants them to and they have an after effect that might be a little bit more forceful than she would plan on originally Mm -hmm. having it happen so uh also in this world the humans some of them are born with like telekinetic abilities and that hasn't played too much of a part yet but I'm interested to see where that goes as well, because there's telekinesis and there's also telepathy. You get yeah. all the telas, television, everything. Um, but yeah, that's that's essentially where we're at with about the characters. But Chris, mm. I think there's a couple other people that we really need to talk about. So for that, let's go into the archives. Monstrous was created by writer Marjorie M. Liu and artist Sana Takeda. Sana Takada is a Japanese illustrator and comic book artist. At 20 years old, Sana began work as a 3D CGI designer for Sega, creating images for soccer and NBA athletes. At 25, she became a freelance artist, landing several projects after sending her art portfolio to C.B. Sibulski, writer and editor for Marvel Comics. Her work at Marvel Comics includes X-Men, Venom, Civil War II, and Ms. Marvel. From 2006 to 2008, Sana worked on C.B. Sibulski's creator-owned series, Drain, for Image Comics, about a Japanese vampiress on a revenge mission hunting throughout time periods and centuries. I am totally getting that book. I had never heard of it before, but I looked it up. The art, of course, is amazing because Sana did it, so definitely checking that one out. In 2010, Sana began work with Marjorie Liu on X-23 for Marvel and would later team up once again in 2013 to develop their creator-owned series, 
Monstrous, which ended up being released in 2015 with Image Comics. Sana won the Eisner Award for Best Cover Artist and won Best Painter slash Digital Artist for her work on Monstrous in 2018, as well as winning Best Painter Digital Artist again for Monstrous in 2022. So they're still going strong. Art is looking beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at some of the art she did for like X-Men and it's it's pretty dope. <laughs> like it's just it's just beautiful stuff. I mean, this is it it kind of reminds me of Art Germ in some ways, like like his his posters and covers and things like that. But yeah, it's really cool. Just super just has a really fun painterly manga-esque but but uh comics, you know, influenced style, really beautiful faces and and so much detail, uh, detail where there needs to be detail and simplicity where there doesn't. You feel the manga influence in this series, especially in certain parts where you see more demonic characters, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of this in, in manga where demon eyes will start looking in different directions. The forehead gets very veiny. The teeth start to change directions and go all over the place. It's so you, you see that multiple times in the, even in these first six issues. And it is so cool to see it in this format. It, oh, the painterly style works so well with this influence. It's so unique. I, I was blown yeah. away by it. I, I'm going to buy the hardcovers. I need the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, I am a massive fan. And I, I like it because it's not overtly manga. It's not like full on like deformed, you know, super deformed kind of style or, or like really big eyes like it, it. It's lightly influenced. Well, it's heavily influenced, but it's more of like a mature take on these the, the artwork and the characters and stuff like that. It's just a, it's just it's a really nice blend of, you know, of the traditional comic style, as it were. Um, in modern comics and then having a very distinct style of her own. So uh, yeah, it's just instantly one of my favorite artists <laughs> like to, oh, to yeah. watch. So you could even say that her style is kind of like an arcanic, a hybrid. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Born in Philadelphia and raised in Seattle, Marjorie Liu developed a love for reading at a very young age from books like Little House on the Prairie. We're a long way from Little House on the Prairie in this story. Marjorie attended Lawrence University, majoring in East Asian languages and cultures, as well as a minor in biomedical ethics. Mm-hmm. In undergrad, she developed her web design skills by creating a fan site called the Wolverine and Jubilee page after discovering various X-Men fan sites, which she regularly visited. Despite never having read a comic book as a child, Marjorie was familiar with the X-Men through the animated series, as well as fan fiction she read online. She purchased a variety of X-Men and Wolverine comics to write her own fan fiction, which helped her improve her own storytelling skills. After graduating from Lawrence University, she enrolled in law school at the University of Wisconsin. So finishing one degree, going into law school, this is like unbelievably impressive to me. (laughs) At the University of Wisconsin, Marjorie impressed their East Asian Legal Center, as well as the top U.S. experts in biotech law attending that were also at Wisconsin University, resulting in an internship at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing for their foreign agriculture service, focusing on the Chinese government's new rules regarding the import of genetically modified food. Do you think at that point in time she was thinking, yeah, I'm going into comics? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) 
Maybe. She graduated in May 2003 and was soon admitted to the bar. Marjorie enjoyed law school, but couldn't quite see herself living the life of a lawyer and instead switched gears to focus on writing. Her writing format varied between poetry, short stories, and nonfiction pieces, leading to the publication of her first novel, Tiger Eye, a paranormal romantic adventure set in China and the U.S. The wild thing is, she wrote that book in a month. One month. She would go on to write an impressive list of novels in the same series, as well as the Hunter Kiss series. And at this point, I believe she has now published 17 different novels, which we mentioned a little earlier. While attending a comic book convention in Tucson, Arizona, Marjorie saw a boy dressed as Spider-Man, which resulted in her reaching out to her literary agent, saying she would enjoy writing for Marvel Comics. Do you imagine, like, just being so talented and good at, at pretty much anything you try at this point, that you're like, hey, that's Spider-Man. You know what? I like, I like writing. I think I want to write for Marvel Comics. Yeah. And then she does it. Her agent, Lucian Diver knew a Marvel acquisition editor seeking authors for Marvel tie-in stories. While Spider-Man was covered for tie-ins, no one had yet been hired for the X-Men. Marjorie went on to produce the X-Men novel Dark Mirror in 2005, but it wasn't until three years later she would land her first comic assignment at Marvel with the X-Men spinoff NYX, or NYX, which is also where uh, Laura Kinney... X-23 first appeared, but Mm -hmm. she wasn't working on the series at that point. I think she came in later on that series. She co-wrote Dakin, Dark Wolverine with Daniel Way and wrote the X-23 series, which ended with issue 21. Marjorie would go on to write the final 21 issues of the Astonishing X-Men in 2012 to 2013 and received significant media attention for featuring Marvel Comics' first gay wedding between North Star and longtime partner Kyle in issue 51. Can you imagine, like, when you are the partner of a hero in a universe, in comic universe, and your partner's name is North Star, and then you're Kyle. <laughs> like, coming into the hall, Mr. and Mr. North Star and Kyle. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how well that comes across. He could have a really bad last name, though. Like, maybe his last name is, like you know, hardwood or something. It's just not very awkward. <laughs> That's we're just getting into porno now. <laughs> yeah. In 2015, Marjorie started teaching a comic book writing course at MIT and participated as a guest lecturer at UC Berkeley's Vona Voices workshop. So not only a novelist, not only having passed the bar, teaching at MIT as well as guest lecturing at UC Berkeley. Oh my gosh. Image Comics debuted Marjorie and Sana's series Monstrous in 2015, garnering popularity for its extensive world-building and exploration of racism, effects of war, and feminism. In July of 2018, Marjorie became the first woman in the 30-year history of the Eisner Awards to win for Best Writer. And I will add that it was a co-award because at that time, Tom King also won for his work on Batman and Mr. Miracle. And I already knew how prolific Tom King's work on Batman and Mr. Miracle were. So it's not a surprise that he also won that year. But it's wild that it took 30 years for a woman to win Best Writer, to win an Eisner for Best Writer. Agreed. There would have been many that I would have uh, thought should have won earlier. But But yeah, that is is our dive into 
the archives for yeah, these creators. And- and such a, I love that we have two female creators and uh, bringing so much to the genre. Yeah. One one thing I want to add here too, just because this is included in the uh, trade paperback for Monstrous, is this uh, end note that's from Marjorie. And it talks about like the motivation for the book and really what she had in mind. And so she had always had this, vision of a girl standing in a battlefield like miles and miles of devastation and her her grandparents had seen all this like the devastation of war while they were in china and she had heard these horrific stories and it 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 impacted her greatly to the point where she wanted to tell this story but she she didn't really know what the root of it was until well I'll just read this part so you understand what the root of it was now. So this is Marjorie. The root of my desire, I finally realized, was to tell a story about what it means to be a survivor. A survivor not just of cataclysmic war, but of racial conflict and its antecedent, hatred. And to confront the question, how does one whom history has made a monster escape her monstrosity? How does one overcome the monstrousness of others without succumbing to a rising monstrousness within? That's pretty deep. Like I, I like, I love the question that it poses because when you're just confronted with hatred and violence all the time, how, how do you combat that without becoming the thing that is attacking you? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Just, just who the, the deep, deep thinking that is required to read this comic is a new obsession of mine. I am. I need more. I finished issue six and I was like, I, well, I'm, I'm buying the rest of it. Like I'm buying everything I can. Yeah. I definitely um, am like hooked at this point and I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for more and I'm ready for the next part. But I also definitely like took little breaks in between the issues. I'm like, all right, I got to process all of this. (laughs) It's like when you read Sandman or, or something that's really dense and you want to kind of like, okay, I've processed. There's some comics you can just kind of plow through because it's fun and there's a lot of action shots. And this one has a lot of lore and character and names and world building and, and moral, you know, allegories. And it, 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 I don't know. My brain needed a little extra time to figure stuff out. So I I did reread panels at points so I could, so I could understand what they were building, but it wasn't, it wasn't a chore. It was, Mm -hmm. no, I like, I want to know this. It's it's like if somebody, like they had mentioned earlier, the comparison with like Tolkien, like when, when you're trying to understand the world that he created, you have to reread. There, mm-hmm. There's no way ever you understand everything about his world on the first read through. It's the same th- thing here, except it's not it's not something that you feel like you're forced to do. It's something you're like, no, no, like I want to I want to get it like I want to understand this. So let me return back to this page or you're reading something. You're like, oh, wait, that makes a connection for something I read way earlier. And you dive back a few pages or possibly a few issues and make that connection. It's. It makes this read through very, very engaging. Yeah. It's good, you guys. <laughs> but we're if not you done can't yet. Tell. <laughs> so, uh, as far as the pull list, because this is an ongoing series, um, I would say for me, the recommendation is to just get the volume one awakening 
It's called Montress Volume 1 Awakening, and it's the first six issues. I think that's a good place to start if you're kind of like curious about what this is. There is a uh, book one, which is a much bigger collection if you want to just go all in and you're like, yeah, cool, let's do this. Um, but the Volume 1 is a nice you know, intro and it will introduce you to the world. Um, and then you can go from there. And I think there's six or seven volumes at this point. Yeah. And you can also like Chris just mentioned, there is the hardcovers that include the first 18 issues. There's two hardcovers out so far. So obviously the first 36 issues of the series of the 42 are now collected in the hardcover. But if you're just wanting to see if this is something for you, legitimately, this book is over 200 pages it has a cover price of $9.99. Image Comics does a brilliant job of putting together collections that are at such an affordable price. Like you look at this thing and it's it's beefy for a trade. And yeah, it's 10 this bucks. Should, this should be way I, I I was surprised when I got that. I got this at Comic-Con because I went up to the image and I was like, look, I'm I'm looking for good recommendations. And I bought this and I bought Paper Girls. And uh, and, and they were, they were great. Um, both of them. So good, good job image employee that was working the booth <laughs> that day. Um, cause I loved both of these and I was really excited because yeah, it was like 10 bucks. Heck yeah. And it, it's, it, it's worth way more. I mean, it's just the, the artwork alone is so good and, and just worth going through it again and looking, I'm just looking at some of the panels and just like, wow, there's just like such cool stuff. This is definitely a series that I can see myself rereading. Like I know already when I catch up, I'm going to want to reread it really quick for that pull list. And I guess the grail find for us, we both have volume one. I don't have another grail. Do you No. I will when I buy the hardcover. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm tempted to even go back and try to find some individual issues of, of early individual issues that came out just because having all those covers uh, and, you know, getting some of them signed or that sort of thing is, is definitely tangible and doable. So that's, that might be something to hunt for a little bit later on because some of the covers I'm, I've seen them and, and they're just gorgeous. It's, it's works of art. Yeah. Art, art, as and I raise is, my arms to the is, ceiling, you know, uh, Eisner award-winning cover artist. I mean, she does amazing stuff. Yeah. I, I cannot wait to keep reading, but Chris, what do we have for adaptations for Monstrous? Well, so far, as far as I can tell, and I did some research, there's nothing really that's been adapted from Monstrous. There have been some rumors, uh, even a few years ago, around 2019, that there might be a live-action TV series on HBO Max. I don't know if it was just in the initial phase, but maybe it went away, or maybe it's kind of in the back burner. Um, There there wasn't really a showrunner attached or anything like that. So, but I could definitely see myself watching this on HBO or even something like, um, you know, Amazon prime or something that's, that's dealing with a little bit more mature content that has a relationship with image comics, with invincible and with paper girls and, and things like that. So, um, it would, it wouldn't surprise me if we see an adaptation of monstrous in the next couple of years. Um, I would, just, I would even love to see an animated version. Well, yeah, of this. that's what I, 
that's what I was going to say. I, I hope they make either a TV show or an anime or an anime or something along those lines. I wouldn't want to see a movie. I think a movie just wouldn't do it justice. I think it's, no, it's it doesn't. It's too it would be too compressed to try to get even even like for the first six issues wouldn't fit inside of a movie and do it justice. It's just it's too broad and it and it just needs to take its time. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, TV would be great to have it on a mature, you know, uh, cable channel or streaming service. And, you know, this is definitely a mature comic. There is language, there is nudity, there is extreme violence, uh, some scary stuff. There's some, yeah, there's some disturbing imagery. And it also deals with a lot of, like we said, the kind of psychological mental health issues that, you know, people dealing with their own trauma and abandonment and, uh, and, uh, you know, parental, (laughs) you know, uh, issues and everything like that so i mean there there's uh there, there's a lot of good things to kind of work out your your demons so to speak yep and but that's that's the, that's uh adaptations that we yeah, not yeah. much going on with that yet and uh speaking of dealing with inner demons it's time for our strangest segment what, what is each issue we do what nerds do best, we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. In this issue, we decided, what if you had a physical manifestation of your inner flaws? What monstrous form would that take? Uh, we're going introspective with this what if. We're, we're being a little bit vulnerable with our yeah. audience right now. What we see as a flaw, what we see about our inner struggles, and how we might see it manifested in the real world if we had an legit inner demon <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i could go many ways with this but <laughs> i'm curious to hear what you picked <laughs> yeah would you prefer to go first or second chris um i'll go second okay uh so for me i have always dealt with a lot of anxiety it's mm-hmm. something that holds me back a lot of the time not thinking that i will be able to accomplish certain things in my life and I think definitely my anxiety would be manifest as, as my like inner flaw, the demon coming out of me. And I, I see it as being a, like a shadow that completely encompasses me and it can have monstrous, like, like changing colored eyes. It can uh, just be this hulking thing that surrounds me and sort of weighs me down. But it, I think the, it being a shadow also allows me to sink into like the dark areas to get away from people, to hide, to become a little bit more recluse and, and avoid any fear of not being accepted of not being able to, or or just not wanting to be seen at certain times because I am very much an introvert when I am, when I'm around people, my, my energy very much gets drained. If it's not like my core group of friends. If I am not familiar with those around me, it it really stresses me out, which for some reason is not how I am at a convention. For some reason, being on a con floor gives me so much energy. Well, I think it's like it's white noise, right? It's like there's so much there that you can tune it out. But if it's like 20 people and you have to talk to them because that's the social construct, it's like it's like, oh, now I'm now I'm kind of crippled a little bit because like now I have now I kind of have to talk to these people because otherwise I'm just going to be awkwardly sitting in the 
back of the room, which I'm totally fine with. But but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I'm right there with you. And it's it's strange because I can be so like reserved with talking with an individual. And as soon as they bring up something that I connect with, I'm like, best friend, I'm perfectly fine. There's no more drain. Mm-hmm. It, like I'm there. But until that moment, I just kind of want to fall back and be in the shadows and not really have to interact, which I think has come across as me just not being, uh, or has, has probably come across to other people as being rude. Um, mm. but it's just, it's just an, it's just an anxiety thing. Like yeah. I, it's, it's something I'm working on. I'm getting better at, but for the majority of my life, that being the thing that would hold me back a lot mm. would definitely be the manifestation of my inner demon. So what does your demon look like? What does the anxiety demon look like? Oh, it's shadow. It's like a straight up like shadow. darkness that surrounds me, shadow claws, like a very um, like sharp edged like headdress type of thing, but completely mm-hmm. covering my face and body. You do not uh-huh. see me anymore. It is just a bigger hulking shadow creature monster. It just goes. <laughs> just yeah, kinda... completely covers me. Yeah, and then all like, of a sudden. Uh-huh. blends into the background <laughs> mm-hmm. that's yeah that's interesting yeah yeah you can see that and and it also kind of has that you know anxiety kind of overtakes you and you have to yep. sort of ice it's hard to isolate sometimes you know where that pain is or where the you, you kind of feel hot or you feel it in your chest or you feel it you know extremities and it's just like i can't i don't know where this is it's all around me um yeah i like that um, well, uh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable. Um, my, my, uh, monster inner demon, uh, stems from, I almost picked anxiety, but I ended up going with, uh, the kind of neurodivergent tendencies that I have with, with ADHD and just focus. Um, and I kind of did a little bit of that, but I also was thinking about, um, a little bit of just the weight that I put on myself to achieve and to it, like having that imposter syndrome and having the like, yes. am I good enough? Am I ever going to, am I ever going to achieve the things that I'm setting out for myself as an illustrator, or as a creator, um, which is what I, one of my passions and what I really love. So I've, I've set different tiers and I have jumped from project to project. You know, I've, you know, I've done <laughs> different things and different, you know, things I've, made a board game and then i was like web comic artist and i you know i've done a bunch of different stuff and my wife's like when is it enough and i'm like i don't know it's never enough. when you when you talk about all the things that you do i get tired like you you do so much stuff it is unbelievable yeah, yeah and there's always like five more things that i wanted oh like i'll try that <laughs> um but so, yeah it's too much to list right now and I, I get embarrassed, like talking about it, like, well, I'm also this and I also do this and I've done this before. Um, and it makes for an interesting conversation. But because of that, the, the manifestation of this lack of focus and all these things that are happening would take take the form of many tiny little flying light bugs, like almost like fireflies. Mm. But when you look really closely, they've got long kind of tentacly things and they're all kind of coming in and trying to pull pull away essences of my like soul and spirit like they're pulling this and like something that's inside you know almost like a like a spring roll you can kind of see through yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what they're what they're uh what they're pulling and and like one's pulling me in this direction one's pulling me in this direction i have to kind of like kind of uh pull them back in 
and refocus and be like, nope, that's that's what I'm doing. I don't I don't have time for you right now. I have to like refocus. So there's all these little mini mini demons that I have to like shush away. That's a that's a really cool visual. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable. I appreciate it. Um, I think it's good. It's it's good to be able to talk about it. And uh, you know, I, and and I hope that people that are listening to this, if they feel like they want to share, of course you don't have to, but but we would love to hear from. We are not therapists by any means, but uh, but you know, nerding out and talking about kind of things that we feel comfortable talking with and and how it kind of relates to the nerd culture that we're in, I think is, is a healthy way to kind of have that conversation. Um, of course, if you are part of our Patreon, you can always bring those discussions to our uh, Discord, which we have for Patreon members uh, exclusively as well. So we look forward to having those conversations if you choose to share. Yeah. And if you would like to support us, through patreon you also get free cool patreon exclusive sticker you get early access to episodes when we edit them on time we're also planning a lot of other content and fun giveaways and things like that that will be happening very soon for our patrons so if you go to patreon.com slash comic book keepers you can find us there as well as if you just want to support us but not financially but just jump over to whatever streaming platform you listen to podcasts on leave us a five-star review leave us a thumbs up whatever metric they use please just leave us something so we can help spread the word about the show and we should mention just a little plug for in the next couple of issues we're coming up to issue 100 Uh, so we're going to do some special things for that we won't mention what we're going to do quite yet but uh, definitely stick around tune back in for issue 100 if you've just started listening or if you've been listening since the beginning you won't want to miss it because it's going to have some great celebration and just kind of nerdy talk uh, throughout our journey and some of the things that we have planned even coming up for future issues of comic book keepers i think that we've kind of hit all the things we want to talk about from monstrous i have a feeling we're going to be talking about monstrous again and probably like what are you reading issues maybe we'll have like a part two I, I think when we finish, when we catch all the way up, I think yeah. we should do a, a new episode just about it. So it's time to close the book on Monstrous. So until next time, this is Chris. And Lance. Reminding you to keep your friends close. But your comic books closer. Extend. Extend. Grab the tea. Oh, oh, it's working. I'm grabbing the mug of hot tea from across the room. It's coming closer to me. Lance! Lance, I'm pulling the hot tea. Oh, my, ah, my lap. Oh, it's so hot. It's so hot. It's so hot.